This podcast may contain adult language and situations, graphic, gory details, and other not-so-nice things. Listener discretion is advised. I'm Ashley. And I'm Lacey, and this is United States of Murder. This week, we're discussing one of the worst torture and murder cases in Utah history. Then we'll talk about a woman who starts to realize that her new marriage really is too good to be true. Buckle up and join us on this dark and twisted ride through the Beehive State. According to the United States Department of Justice, the term hate can be misleading. When used in a hate crime law, the word hate does not mean rage, anger, or general dislike. In this context, hate means bias against people or groups with specific characteristics that are defined by law. At the federal level, hate crime laws include crimes committed on the basis of victims' perceived or actual race, color, religion, national origin, sexual orientation, gender, gender identity, or disability. Most state hate crime laws include crimes committed on the basis of race, color, and religion. Many also include crimes committed on the basis of sexual orientation, gender, gender identity, and disability. The crime in hate crime is often a violent crime, such as an assault, murder, arson, vandalism, or threats to commit such crimes. It may also cover conspiring or asking another person to commit such crimes, even if the crime is never carried out. Hate crimes have a broader effect than most other kinds of crimes. Hate crime victims include not only the crime's immediate target, but also others like them. Hate crimes affect families, communities, and at times, an entire nation. Extensive violence has been directed against the LGBTQ community for decades. Attacks against LGBTQ people generally center on the idea that there is a normal way for people to live and that their way of life goes against the gender assigned at birth. LGBTQ plus people are nearly four times more likely than non-LGBTQ plus people to experience violent victimization, including rape, sexual assault, and aggravated or simple assault, according to the UCLA School of Law. In addition, LGBTQ plus people are more likely to experience violence both by someone well-known to the victim and at the hands of a stranger. The Matthew Shepard and James Byrd Jr. Hate Crimes Prevention Act is a landmark United States federal law passed on October 22, 2009 and signed into law by President Obama. This expands the 1968 United States federal hate crime law to include crimes motivated by a victim's actual or perceived gender, sexual orientation, gender identity, or disability. The case I'm going to tell you about, you have probably never heard of, but I assure you, you will never forget it. This is the murder of Gordon Ray Church, a young man whose beautiful life was cut short and serves as a grim reminder of just how evil homophobia is.
Gordon Ray Church was born September 14, 1960, in Fillmore, Utah, to Gordon and Nancy Church, who are devout Mormons. He was in a ton of activities at school and was very well liked. In high school, he was chosen as an outstanding business student by the faculty. He went on to attend Southern Utah University in Cedar City and studied theater. He was openly gay, which was something these small towns in the 80s was not used to or comfortable with. This was during the AIDS panic, and people tended to be afraid of homosexuals. My face is getting super hot. Honestly, that is still kind of common in a lot of small towns, especially in the South. I don't know about other places. I just know where I'm from has its own issues. But Right. Anyways, his friends knew he was gay, and he was in a relationship with a man. On November 22nd, 1988, 28-year-old Gordon had Friendsgiving plans before they all left to go home for the holidays. He told them he was stopping by 7-Eleven for a pack of smokes, and then he would meet them at one of their houses before they all headed out to this restaurant. But he never showed up. After a while, they called his house. He was living with his grandmother at the time while he was in college, but he wasn't there. After two hours of waiting, they left and went to dinner without him, which was super strange. He was not one to not show up Mm -hmm. or to not let them know. Now, he also didn't have a cell phone. You know, it was back in those days. Yeah. You can't just track your friends. Not like you. Yeah, Yeah. No. So a few days later, they would all find out what happened to their dear friend. His body was found 76 miles away on a deserted road. He had been tortured and murdered. At 7-Eleven, Gordon had run into 26-year-old Michael Archuleta and 20-year-old Lance Wood. These two men would be responsible for Gordon's murder. So these two had actually met while serving time, one for drugs and one for stealing a motorcycle. Lance Wood was adopted at six months old. His father was an alcoholic, and his mother was super young, and neither wanted him. His adoptive parents said he was always kind of off. He had developmental delays and became a troubled teen. He loved Boy Scouts and earned the Eagle Scout, which is their highest award or medal. And right after this is when he stole the motorcycle and went to jail. Don't make friends with people in jail. You know, that's not the best place to make friends. I'm sorry. It's no, just not. No. You just Michael was also adopted. He was being raised by his 16-year-old mother when he was removed from his home by DCFS at three. Wow. He was living in filth, was covered in cigarette burns, and was oh severely God. malnourished. He was placed with a foster family who eventually did adopt him. He suffered from ADHD and spent a significant time in the Utah State Hospital and mental health facilities where he may have been sexually assaulted. He eventually started doing drugs, and this is what led to him going to jail. Mm. After they were released, they moved in together with their girlfriends, and on that night, they had started getting drunk and hanging out after their girlfriends had left to go home for the holidays. They ran to the store to grab some sodas for mixers, and that's when they saw Gordon sitting in his car. They start talking to him, 
and ask him if he wants to hang out. What? Mm-hmm. Did they know him? No. Okay. They cruise around before driving up to Cedar Canyon. Here, Gordon allegedly tells them that he's he's gay. No one knows exactly what happened after this. Lance, Wait, sorry, he did hang out with them. Yeah, like they cruised oh. town and then drove up to this canyon road. Oh, and wow. he's like, "Hey, I'm I'm gay." So no one knows what happened. Maybe they were like, "I'm gonna pick up some chicks or whatever," oh, and he was yeah. like, "Okay, I'm I'm gay. I'm a gay man." Mm-hmm. So Lance said Michael told him he was going to rob Gordon because he was gay. Michael said Gordon offered to have sex with him, but changed his mind halfway through. Lance said Michael held a knife to Gordon's throat when he robbed him, making a small cut. Gordon broke free and took off running. Michael caught him, tackled him to the ground, breaking his jaw and arm in the process. Gordon was just 5'5 and around 150 pounds, so he wasn't like a big guy that could... Holy crap, that's small. Yeah. It's like my size. Oh, man. It's like he could fight off this this guy. Well, two guys. Right. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Michael proceeds to cut into his neck, takes him back to the car, and rapes him on the hood while he held the knife to his throat. Oh, wait. Oh, my gosh. And this is about to get a little um, grim, so if you want to skip ahead. Michael raped him? Yes. Raped Gordon. (sighs) On the hood of Gordon's car. So Gordon, they got in with Gordon at the gas station and cruised around like he had a hot car. Man. Yeah. When he finished, he asked if Lance wanted a turn. Lance declined. Gordon was really hurt from the beating, (sighs) the broken bones, and now this brutal rape. Michael found a bungee cord in the trunk. And the two men tied Gordon up and placed him inside the trunk of his own car. They then drove 76 miles to Dog Valley. Here, they proceeded to torture Gordon. They threw him on the ground, kicked him in the head, then stomped his face. Michael swung the tire jack like a golf club or a croquet mallet. Oh my gosh. Michael got the jumper cables out of the trunk, hooked one end to the battery, and the other to Gordon's testicles, attempting to electrocute him. They then used the tire iron to sodomize him so badly that it punctured his liver and other organs. Then they proceeded to beat him again. When he was dead, they buried him in a shallow grave, drove west, and left Gordon's vehicle at a friend's house in Salt Lake City. They then went to a thrift store, bought new clothes, and threw their bloody ones in a drainage ditch, then hitchhiked back to Cedar City. Less than a day later, Lance told his parole officer that he had witnessed Archuleta kill someone. When they asked why they did it, Wood said it was because Gordon was gay. And now I'm like tearing up. Thanksgiving morning, he drove with his parole officer out to where they had buried Gordon's body. Both men were arrested. Prosecutors found the bloody clothing in the drainage ditch and Gordon's hair on Lance's shoes where he had stomped him. 
Gordon's watch was found at Michael's dad's house, so they knew these two were responsible for Gordon's death. Millard County is a very small town without many violent crimes. The FBI crime database indicates just one or two murders every few years. In 1988, the population was barely 11,000. All of these factors made the brutal murder of Gordon difficult for the entire community. Gordon's family was very well known and respected throughout the community, which kind of made them keep it hush-hush is out of respect for the family. This is a huge Mormon town. They were Mormons. Mm -hmm. So Lance blames it all on Michael, but evidence proved he didn't just sit around watching this happen. They had to do a change of venue for the trial due to so many people knowing Gordon's family. The two were tried separately. Michael's trial began in December of 1989 and Lance's in January of 1990. Both were charged with sexual assault and kidnapping. Laws against hate crimes were not a thing until 1992, so neither were charged with this. Gordon's case predates Matthew Shepard's, where the 21-year-old University of Wyoming student was beaten to death because he was gay. The 1998 crime was the catalyst for the hate crime legislation, protection, and the LGBTQ plus community. The details were so horrific that the trial judge put a gag order on all reporters and the medical examiner that testified said that Gordon's injuries were torturous. His skull was injured so badly that the medical examiner said it appeared similar to if his head had been run over by a truck. It took him two hours on the stand to testify against all the injuries that he found. Wow. 22-year-old Lance Wood was found guilty and sentenced to life in prison. Michael was sentenced to death. His last appeal was in 2020, and it was denied. Lance moved from Utah to Idaho. So they had like a, he could move from prison to prison, like the interstate compact. So he could move from the prison in Utah to the prison in Idaho, where there he was accused of having an inappropriate relationship with four different prison employees, and charged with sexual harassment. Women or men? It doesn't say. A paralegal worker at her husband's law firm, who the lawyer was also a senator, began helping with these charges against Lance, and the two developed feelings for each other, and eventually a relationship formed. Love letters were found in his cell. She wrote she was going to leave her husband for him. After, oh my God. Yes. After this, he was sent to Oregon, prompting him and the woman to file a lawsuit against the prison in Idaho, saying they moved him in retaliation and were trying to cover up corruption. These two were married in 2015. Ugh. Ugh. So there is a documentary called Dog Valley. They came out in 2020. Um and it debuted at the Danny's Hills Queer Film Festival, and its Cedar City debut at the Red Rock Film Festival in November of 2020. It's on Amazon Prime. I feel like I've heard of it, but yeah. I didn't know what it was about. So I don't know if I could even watch it. Neither one of these men participated in the documentary. Uh, the of church, not. yeah, the church and Wood families declined to be interviewed for the film as well. Right. It's 
super hard to watch. I watched it and like mm-hmm. I have a knot in my throat talking about it. So I'm going to warn you now. They did interview um, Gordon's family and his boyfriend at the time of the murder. And it is gut wrenching. The documentary also highlighted Utah SB 103, which created more stringent hate crime laws. I mean, like, this is a story that needs to be shared. I know it's tough to hear and it's super tough to watch the documentary, but it's yeah. a topic that needs to be discussed. Man, what we're seeing in the news recently with the bans on what words LGBTQ plus community can use, the bans on drag queens. And all of this controversy seeming to suddenly be surrounding a certain beer can and a washed up male artist. Sorry, you know who you are. And I hate to break it to all of you who are supporting this nonsensical boycott on a metal can. These alcohol companies have been supporting the LGBTQ plus community for 20, 30, 40 years. Mm -hmm. So you're a little fucking late, nerds. (laughs) Just saying. All joking aside, people pay attention to your state legislation and the bullshit they're trying to pass. For real. Get out there and vote. If you're not comfortable joining in a march, you can sign petitions online. Just get involved. This is the only way we can make a difference. And I just don't get the obsession on what other people are doing with their lives. It just seems... Amen. Completely ridiculous, and every LGBTQ plus person deserves to be safe and to feel safe from psychological and physical violence. And if you see something or know of a hate crime being planned or committed, Mm -hmm. please report it. You can go to justice.gov, and there is a tab you can click on to report um, to your FBI's local field office, or you can always call 911 or your local police department. Your voice matters. Their voices matter. Gordon's voice mattered. And I'm getting real emotional because we have so many close friends that are a part of this community. And to think that something like this could happen to one of them just gets me in my heart. And I I can't even fathom. If that happened to one of our friends, I mean. Oh, I know. I I can't even imagine. And here's the thing, too, even if there's no crime committed, but you feel there is an incident that happened to someone, go to civilrights.justice.gov. If you or someone you know has been a victim of a hate crime, you can call 1-855-484-2846 for victim assistance specialists who are available at no cost to you, and they help victims find local support services. Or, or just an ear to, to listen to you. So don't feel alone. And regardless of what anybody likes or anybody says or anybody supports, this podcast 150% supports your community. We support you. We are here for you. We are your ally and we love you. And now I'm crying. <laughs> it's, Sorry. yeah, it's, I'm speechless in this one mostly. This was a hard what one. she said. Yeah, that's and not that it needs to be talked about, but the fact that Michael raped him because he was gay. Raped and him and then. What's, you are performing sex acts on a man against their will. You're like, 
it, it, I just, it makes me nauseated. What is the mindset? I, I truly, ugh. when anyone rapes anybody, I feel like that is the most demeaning mm-hmm. and horrible thing and ugh. violation of your personal space, your body, your, to your soul that someone can do to somebody. And when there's a friend watching, yeah, it, it blows my mind when there are two people or more that are witnessing a murder and they're everyone's just going along with it. It's so freaking weird to me. Like, is it, you know, this happened, <sighs> you know, 10 years before what happened to Michael Shepard, which was hor- mm-hmm. equally horrible, horrible and, and horrifying. Yeah. But it, you know, these cases happen. These people had mothers and, and dads and siblings and friends. And, you know, it sucks that there has to be a face to a hate crime for you to mm-hmm. personalize it and say, oh, that was a real person. It's not just a story that I've read or something I've heard about. And it, it's, it's awful. And it, it just needs to fucking stop. And it's not going to as long as we keep letting people push their hateful mm-hmm. agendas on everyone. And it just. And it is totally from hate. I mean. Yeah. Or fear. Fear of something different than what you are a part of. Yeah. Who cares what anyone else wants to do? Well, it's like you and I, I have. I don't get. Right. I don't care. You and I have both openly discussed and talked about. Are we. Super religious people? No. Do we care that so and so goes to church or they're this? We don't give a shit. That yeah. has no effect on our lives. So right. why I, do people? If it affects me, it's different. But that doesn't. Right. People's sexual orientation definitely right. doesn't affect me. Right. So. I just it's a it's such a strange thing for someone to be so obsessed with that they want to hurt someone over. And it's murder. So, it's yeah. Anyways, I need a break. I need a break. Same. Well, that case left me pretty speechless. Sorry. So, I guess I'll just tell you mine. I have mine now. Sorry. No transition here. So, in 1987, Margie Bolt had just divorced her husband of 20 years. She was nervous about dipping her toes back in the dating pool. Don't do it. But her friends were happy to push her along. Of course, y'all always are. Yeah. But you don't bring, like, good people sometimes. I don't bring anybody. You don't bring anybody. I don't know any straight single dudes. You got nobody. I got nobody. I mean, (laughs) I'm open to suggestions to suggest. Margie loved to dance, so she put herself out there and went to a country western bar in Salt Lake City, Utah. Who knew? Oh, boy. Maybe that's what I'm doing wrong. Farmer takes a wife. <laughs> I need a country it western all dance. Back. It does. So she was a 37-year-old single mother. And I will say, based on her pictures, she was a catch. That night, she met a handsome man by the name of Sean Paul Lanier. He was smiling at her from across the room and eventually asked her to dance. It was like a romantic comedy. That's cute. This was her first night out, so she felt really lucky. Yeah. She didn't have to go through a bunch of frogs, you know? 
He told her he preferred to be called Sean Paul, and she found him <laughs> two names. <laughs> yeah, Sean Paul, like Neil Patrick. Yep, two names, two names. Kind of pretentious. Maybe not. I don't want to offend anyone. That's like people that go by like Marianne or. Well, I feel like Marianne makes more sense because it's short. Well, Sean Paul's short too. I don't know. I don't, I don't know. If I met a dude who's like. Marianne's kind of cute. It's Sean. My name is Sean Paul. <laughs> the rapper? <laughs> That's what I would have said, but it was 1987. And so she found him charming and confident, and they made small talk. He told her he was a chef who graduated from Paris's Le Cordon Bleu. I love that. Yeah. Margie ended up giving him her number, and he quickly called, asking for a real first date. For the date, they went to a cozy restaurant, and he told her that he was actually from New Zealand, even though he didn't have an accent. Oh, no. They always have an accent. That does not go away. Trust me. That's one of... That actually is my favorite accent of all time. It's very close to South African. We're going to get all the DMs for that saying, no, it's not. Well, one of my favorite shows is Flight of the Concord, so I could listen to them talk all day. Do you think it sounds South African? No. No? Maybe my memory is fuzzy from Rainbow Bud Lights. <laughs> you drink too many, <laughs> I drink Bud, too Lights. many Bud Lights. Oh, boy. So, he said he lost his parents and siblings in a plane crash and that his wife dialed in childbirth. But he had a daughter in college in California and a son in college in Montana. Since Margie had three daughters, she was happy to learn that he was a family man. They began an official relationship, but Margie did notice some strange things about Sean Paul. For example, he wouldn't look people in the face and would purposefully avoid being seen. Like he was hiding? <laughs> I don't know. I kind of got the feeling when they were out together, he would kind of, I don't know, slink around or... Ooh, I don't love that. Hide his face. Yeah, it's like, you're not the rapper, Sean Paul. Right. She just thought he was shy, though. He would also take her daughters out for ice cream without her permission, and she did not like that very much. No, ma'am. She had set clear boundaries with him regarding her children, and he pushed those. She did not like that. At one point early into dating, he bought gym memberships and, and athletic attire for her and her daughters. No. Yeah, she refused these gifts but later discovered that he broke into her home through the bathroom window and hung them up for them. Like, as in, he thought this was a kind gesture. Like, oh, she's just refusing to be nice. I'm going to, I don't know, basically force her to get this. That's creepy. She thought this was weird. Yeah. Eventually, she broke up with him. She didn't think he showed her the respect she deserved. But he was not ready to end things and eventually won her back. He told her that his daughter had passed away in a terrible accident and she felt sorry for him. Oh my gosh. Within a year of dating, they got married. Mm-mm-mm. Soon after marriage, Margie discovered that Sean Paul had financial troubles. <sighs> Even worse, he wanted to control her finances. Sir, you can't even handle your it's own. It's like, if you're bad at this, why would you want to be my bookkeeper? Like, Mm-mm. maybe I should be yours. 
But Margie was no fool, and she thought something was off, so she started snooping around his things. And she found some questionable things. She found his daughter's death certificate, and there were typos on it. Words were misspelled. Oh, no. Mm -hmm. And there was not a state seal. They, I don't think I would realize that right off the bat, but the common words being spelled, I would be like, that's very weird. Right. So she confronted him, and he gave her a very reasonable explanation. He was in the witness protection program. Shut up. <laughs> after getting involved with the mafia in New Zealand. I can't. This is the kind of shit that I hear on dates. <laughs> I don't date it. It's true. <laughs> so I did immediately assume New Zealand doesn't have a mob, but I gave it a goog, and there's an organized street gang and prison gang called the Mongrel Mob in New Zealand. Mm -hmm. He didn't say this is what he was a part of. I just Googled that. But anyway, fun side note. If you are in the Mongrel Mob and you're listening, no. Email Lacey, not me. Margie didn't buy this and kept sneaking. Then on March 20th, 1988, a friend of hers called her and said she just saw Sean Paul on an episode of America's Most Wanted. <gasps> Stop. Her friend explained that a man named Paul Stephen Matt looked just like Sean Paul and was wanted for two murders in California and Ohio. Margie did think he was hiding things, but she thought being a murderer was a little hard to believe. She just kind of was like, this guy's a liar and he's kind of sleazy, not that he's killing people. This would be you calling me. <laughs> hey, how are you? How's, how's Max? I was on... just watching the show oh, yeah. and saw... Oh my god. So even though she hadn't pegged him to be a murderer, she had a nagging feeling to keep looking. She looked in his wallet and found two social security cards with totally different numbers. Why would he? Exactly. Your I was so like, why would you keep that in your wallet, first of all? I know. I don't have mine. You, you're keeping things readily available for people to find mm -hmm. when they're snooping Sean exactly. Paul. Exactly. She wanted to confirm things before going to the police, so she got a private investigator who was able to confirm that the numbers on the cards belonged to people who were already dead. How would you keep up? I his relationship, no knowing the deception. I mean, well, I think she was kind of trying to get to the bottom of what mm -hmm. this deal was, and then she wanted enough to go to the police and just be done and be done exactly. Yeah. So she took this knowledge and a glass that had Sean Paul's fingerprints on it to police. She's a badass. Mm -hmm. I'm just going to say it. So when she talked to the detectives, they were also hesitant until. The print she brought them matched up with Paul Stephen Mack, the guy from America's Most Wanted. Oh, shit. Does she get reward money? <laughs> <laughs> She's like, I need reward money. I married this man. Yes. It was a long con for me to turn him in. Now, I don't think she got reward money, unfortunately. Ugh. So, turns out Paul had been married seven times before. Seven? She was the eighth wife. Ooh, that's a lot. More disturbingly, she found out that he was, in fact, a convicted rapist and wanted murderer. In the house with your three daughters. Mm -hmm. Ugh. The police didn't want Sean Paul, well, 
from now on, I'm going to call him Paul because that's what his name really was. And I don't have to say Sean Paul anymore. So Margie went home and acted totally normal because, you know, she had to still live with him until the police could surround the house and move in. When Paul realized that police were at their home, as he and Margie were sitting down for dinner, he bolted and jumped out of one of the house's windows. Oh, Lord. But police caught him and arrested him. Now, let me tell you about his victims. Annette Ramel Huddle was born on March 28, 1962, in Milton, Florida, and was known as being independent, headstrong, and free-spirited. She graduated from Upper Sandusky High School, and in July 1981, she had been employed for three months as a secretary at the local country club. She was last seen on July 8, 1981, but her lifeless body was found the next day in Clarendon Township near the Roberts Road Bridge by a family canoeing the nearby river. Oh, man. The sheriff believed that she had been in the water for around 24 hours. Her body was totally unrecognizable, but dental records helped identify her. Annette had been raped and strangled to death. Paul was quickly one of their suspects when Annette's sister told the police that he had been harassing her. She had mentioned that there's some old creepy guy at the country club, the titting on her and stuff, and she wasn't into it. Karen Grace Winslet was born in Los Angeles, California on August 11, 1965. In February of 1987, Karen was a 21-year-old waitress at the Peppermill restaurant and a part-time model. She had a boyfriend that was 27, his name was David Samus, and they were living together in Citrus Heights in Sacramento County. David was an iron worker and had just gotten an assignment in Stockton from the Florin Road Union Hall on February 19th. So that day, David went home to gather his tools and discovered Karen had already left. She left a note explaining, oh boy, that she was going to a Budweiser calendar photo shoot on Regard Way in the Antelope area. Budweiser is making a lot of appearances in this episode. Oh boy. After he finished his job, he stopped by the Peppermill restaurant and was surprised to learn Karen never arrived for work that day. She had never missed a shift without calling, so this was weird. So, Karen left the address of the photo shoot on the note, so David drove there and arrived around 5.30 p.m. A woman opened the door, who happened to be Paul's fiance? Oh no. He was there too, and they both told him they didn't know anything about Karen. They're like, What are you even talking about? We have no clue. Then, when David got home, he got a call from Paul. Paul told him that he just remembered she was supposed to come to his house for an interview, but once he found out she planned on moving to San Diego, he told her to forget it. Mm. Suddenly, he remembers this, yeah. David reported her missing to police. And two weeks later, her missing car was found behind a Super 8 motel at Hillsdale Boulevard and Madison Avenue on March 3, 1987. The car was locked, but they entered it through the unlocked back hatch. They found Karen's body in a state of moderately advanced decomposition. Her body was in the car? Yeah. Oh, Lord. And it was under her purse, a pile of clothes, and carpet, like someone was trying to hide her. Oh, no. Forensics determined that she had been sedated with Percodon, Percodan, and raped. 
They believed that her cause of death was from an overdose of the sedative. David told investigators about the note Karen left and that Paul may know something. Police interviewed him on February 21st, and he claimed he never met her. He spoke to her, allegedly. Right. And if Karen didn't leave that note, I don't know if we would have ever known. Yeah. Yeah. Karen's story was all over the news, and a pharmacy clerk recognized Paul's name in going through the news reports. This stood out to her because she had filled his prescription for Percodan. <gasps> mm-hmm. She called authorities and gave them a copy of his prescription. So she wasn't the one who prescribed it, but she right. filled it. Yeah. So the prescription came from Paul's dentist. So they interviewed the dentist. He said Paul was alleging dental pain, so that's why he wrote it. Is it that easy? It was in the 87. 80s? Yeah. yeah. This was enough for police to execute a search warrant on Paul, so they searched his home and collected fiber samples from his bed and bedroom carpet. These fibers matched those found on Karen's clothing. Paul was arrested and charged with first-degree murder. So this was in March, but they arranged with his attorney for him to surrender to their custody in early April, which is kind of strange. I wouldn't. Yeah. So that's when he fled to Utah instead and started a new life. And it's the same year he met Margie. Oh, my God. Not long after he fled to Utah. Yeah. After he was arrested in Utah, he was extradited back to Sacramento to be charged for the first-degree murder of Karen in March of 1998. Unfortunately, they couldn't find enough evidence to tie him to Annette's murder in Ohio, but he was always their prime suspect. Paul was sentenced to 25 years to life in prison in 1991, which was about 14 years after the murders. He was 68 years old at this point. He was transported to the California Healthcare Facility in Stockton in 2017 and died of natural causes a year later in 2018. Like, so immediately, right. basically, yeah. Like, really? After his death, his attorney called authorities and told them Paul had confessed to Annette's murder to him in privacy. Of course, that's not enough to, you know, make a conviction after he had passed or whatever, but. Right. Maybe it could help give closure. I don't know. Margie is now in her now in her early seventies and continues to live in Salt Lake City. She's an author and has written a book titled "Tainted Roses: I Married America's Most Wanted." Ooh, I know. I want to read it. So I got most of my info from an ID article by Beth Braden, the Cinemaholic, and the show Evil Lives Here. The episode is called. He looks like the killer on TV. Such a good name. Ooh. Yeah. I'll link that episode up, too, if you want to watch it. Never dating again. <laughs> Ever. And there's pictures of him in a chef's outfit, pictures of him on the beach. So he really went all out to make this persona. lie. Yeah. yeah. This lie to be true. Mm-hmm. People are deceptive. For sure. Dating nowadays is hard enough, but in the 80s, you just had to snoop through their wallets. I well, mean, you know what? It was probably easier. Well, not easier. I mean, now you got to worry. It was easier for them. Right. Now you got to be like, are you 
sneaking on Snapchat? Oh, yeah. Do you have yeah. fake accounts on social media? Do you, I mean. Yeah. Do you have a secret Twitter hand? <laughs> no shit. <laughs> no shit. Oh, boy. Mm-mm. Well, we have a new patron. <gasps> awesome. Rebecca S. from Florida. Hey, Rebecca. That's super cool. Thank mm-hmm. you. Mm-hmm. I need to add her pin. So we'll have three Florida patrons. Yay. Very cool. And I'm looking at Utah right now. We have three of those. That's that's pretty cool. Well, they're probably not going to listen. <laughs> this was a rough no. episode. Every state's got its crap. They you know? really do. Every really state's do. got its stuff to make fun of. And so what's new with you? Um, Nothing. <laughs> Same. I did see... Have you seen the previews for the new movie called The Pope's Exorcist? No. Girl. What? It's about Father Gabrielli. I'm probably mispronouncing that. Armand. That sounds right. Thanks. Um, (laughs) So he was the chief exorcist for the Vatican, and it's basically telling... Russell Crowe's in it? Yeah, Russell Crowe plays him. Oh. And it comes out this Friday. Yeah, no, I have not heard of this. I mean, I'm a little excited about this. I've been saying I haven't seen a really scary movie in a very long time, so maybe this will give me the heebie-jeebies. I watched a couple on, like, Hulu and stuff recently, and they weren't good. There's nothing. So much that I don't even remember what the name right. was. Like, right. I just turn on something while I'm typing mm-hmm. my notes or doing something at night, and I'm like, oh, this is so basic, but... Yeah, I feel like we need our envelopes pushed a little bit. To I'm having a dry spell with my shows. I'm having a dry my... spell, period. <laughs> <laughs> but that's neither here nor there. Max wants to watch the new Super Mario Brothers. So oh, he hasn't yet. Now, if we go to the movies this weekend, we will not be watching the Pope's Exor- Exorcist. Um, we yeah. will be watching. You could do a, a double feature. I mean, he can't watch stuff like that. And I can't let him go to the movies by himself, so. True. How was your Easter? Speaking of the Pope. It was good. How was yours? It was not great. I. Oh, boy. I, we were going to go visit family and we got about, I don't know, 45, no, it was about an hour away. And I had had a headache all morning long, like Uh migraine-ish. And I thought it was going to get better. I took meds, whatever. Well, uh, I'm like pull over i've got to puke and Sam was what? like what and we're in you know middle of nowhere arkansas there's no bathrooms so i had a route 44 curl of room was that cherry lime puke in the grass but he was on the interstate so, i don't care well he had recently spoken to an ER doctor about how dangerous it is to pull over on the interstate oh so he was like so he didn't stop no, he was oh, looking okay. for an exit. Oh, okay, okay. To stop on. I thought you meant he pulled over on the side of the road no. and he grabbed something to throw up in. No, no, I was no. like, no, I girl. had, it was a Route 44 cherry limeade, and he handed me that. And I'm like, no, this is like full. I didn't want to do it. I'm like, just pull over. And he's like, I'm trying, I'm trying. And I, the it came over me, and I went to puke in the cup. And I'm so sorry, this is gross. I projectile vomited on the dash. On the cup, on myself, on my ground, as he's pulling into a gas station. Oh, no. It was awful. So I take the car thing and I put it in the trunk. I don't even try. And then I'm like getting crap from the bathroom. We're cleaning the car. 
And then I'm like, I don't think we can go see family. I, I want to go home. I still had an hour left, okay, coming back. So we stopped two or three more times. He got me meds in Conway. And that ride from Conway to home felt like a million years. What do you take for that? I just took Tylenol and stuff. Like, he just, we didn't have anything at the moment. So he grabbed some Tylenol. Oh, and he got some nausea stuff. But when I get bad headaches, I puke. Oh, my God. That's miserable. I puked so much. So it was not a good Easter. Oh, And I had done my makeup. I thought I was It just came on. Well, I had a headache all morning, uh-huh. and I was trying to. I'm like, okay, we got, I, we have to go, we have to go, whatever. And I just kind of forced myself, and it on the drive, it kept getting worse and worse and worse. And then I'm like, I think I kind of feel sick. And then, bang! Oh no, I've only ever had a migraine like Ugh. one time. Knock on wood, my entire life. They're terrible, and it was so bad. I see why people will go to the emergency room for them. Yeah. Because I was like, this cannot be just a headache. Like, something's really fucking wrong with me. It's like, you hurt so bad, and then I am I puke when yeah, it happens. Yeah, I got sick, sucks. too. The one, the one knock on wood thing. Sorry. Yeah. Knock on wood. I but anyway, that was my Easter, so. Oh, no. I took Max to see uh, um, the Little Shop of Horrors. <laughs> And he loved it. It That's was awesome. super it was cute. Funny. Yeah, no, we loved cute. it. And we went and ate Mexican and then went and got loblolly. And oh, I that mean, was fun. That was our Easter. We hunted eggs when we got home. And okay. Real or fake? Fake. Fake. Yeah. yeah. I saw something on TikTok and I'm going to do this next year. People did Easter egg hunts with their dogs <gasps> and they put like lunch meat, like roast beef in the eggs. Well, I'm 100% doing that. We... You know, he stayed in the house. I hid the eggs in the backyard. Of course, Wendy was out there with me. And every fucking egg I hid, she would run and grab. And then just take off running like it was a game. So I was like, no, we can't. So I eventually had to just take her in the house. Oh, my gosh. That's exactly what Rhody would do. Because every egg, she would follow right behind me and get it and then run. (laughs) I'm like, no, that's not. That's 100% Rhody. No. Naughty babies. Oh, my gosh. Anyways, where are we next week? We don't know. Um, where do you want to go? Where should we go? This is Utah. Let's go to Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania. Let's let's zoom across. Idea. Yeah, Yeah. we haven't been up there. Pennsylvania. It is. We'll be in Pennsylvania next week. Bye. Bye.